Good morning, everyone. So the big questions continues, and um, it may not surprise you to know that I don't have any of the answers either, and I'm going to actually be asking more questions this morning, questions of myself and questions of all of us as um, the body of Christ in how we respond to that issue of suffering. So let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are here with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you speak through your word and speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to draw us closer to you, to draw us closer into relationship with you and knowledge of your love for us. Amen. Amen. So we've been um, asking the community for their questions. What would you ask God if you had one question? And it's been no surprise to us that so many of the questions have been about the issue of suffering. And here are some of the questions that the community have asked. Why do some children get cancers and other bad illnesses? Why is there so much evil and suffering? If God is good... Why do bad things happen? Why doesn't God act more to stop suffering? Why is there so much poverty in the world? And over the last few weeks, we may have been adding some of our own questions to those. Why did innocent children who went to a concert in Manchester die in a terrorist attack? Why did innocent people find themselves trapped in a burning tower block with no hope of survival. And these are challenges for everyone, but they're particular challenges for us as Christians because we believe that God is good and we believe that God is all-powerful. So how can we respond to suffering, whether it's our own individual suffering whether it's the suffering that we see in in our families and friends, whether it's the suffering that we see in communities like the Grenfell Tower community, or whether it's suffering on a global level where we see the results of war and famine and earthquake and flood. How do we respond as Christians? And so I'm going to ask us a few questions. I'm asking myself these questions as well as as us as a family. Can we respond to suffering without surprise? Paul says in our passage that the creation was subject to frustration. We live in a fallen world where so much is not as God intended. He loved mankind so much that he gave us free will as to whether we will love and obey him. He doesn't control us like robots. And as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience, sin has entered our world, and with it, individual, community, and global suffering. Some suffering 
is caused by our own sin, where the things that we do hurt ourselves and hurt others. But it's estimated that as much as 95% of the world's suffering is due to the sins of others, the sins of greed and anger, lust, selfishness, incompetence. Much is talked about the Grenfell Tower materials not being fit for purpose. Was cost put before safety, before the value of human life? And of course, there's suffering for doing good. We see so much of it in the early church, we see it down the ages in the persecuted church. Nusrat, if you were here last week, Nusrat spoke so powerfully of the cost to her of following Christ. Physical cost when she was beaten up, but emotional cost where her family rejected her. And some suffering is unexplained. There's unexplained suffering which we can only think of as being the result of being in a fallen world. In our passage, our gospel passage, we don't know why those Galileans died when the tower fell on them. But Jesus makes it very clear that it's not as a result of their individual sin. And Jesus himself tells his disciples and the church down the ages to expect suffering. But he gives us hope in it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in the message, um, the Amplified Translation, it says, I have deprived it of the power to harm you. And we think, well, actually, I, I, I think I am being harmed by the world. But he's talking about eternally. He's deprived the world of the power to harm us in an internal sense. Our passage tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Jesus gives us that hope of eternity. This is the heart of the gospel. If we can believe that God really loved us enough to sacrifice his only son, and that if we accept him as saviour, then this broken world is not all there is. Our bodies may suffer and die. but we have the promise of eternal life. We hold on to that hope of eternity. In our passage, Paul is acknowledging our suffering. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. 
There's a story told um, uh, by uh, Nicky Gumbel in his book Searching Issues, which I'd like to read to you. Gavin Reed, the Bishop of Maidstone, tells of a boy in his congregation who shattered his back, falling down the stairs at the age of one, and had consequently been in and out of hospital. When Gavin interviewed him in church, the boy remarked, God is fair. Gavin stopped him and said, how old are you? And the boy replied, 17. How long have you spent in hospital? 13 years. Do you think that's fair? said Gavin. The boy replied, God's got all of eternity to make it up to me. That is having an eternal perspective. Can we hold on to that hope? Can we trust God when we don't have any answers? Some of you may have read the book The Shack by William Paul Young. Some of us went to see it as a home group a few weeks ago. And um, seeing the film really took me back to the book which I read several years ago. And the book tells the story of Mac, a man who has suffered greatly in his life. He was abused um, by his um, alcoholic father, alcoholic religious father. And then when he grew up and had a family of his own, his youngest daughter was snatched away by a sexual predator and murdered. And as a result, he goes deeper and deeper into bitterness and anger and hate, which affects his relationships and also his relationship with God. And over the course of a weekend, Mac has an encounter with the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And if you want to know more of what happens and how it's resolved, you'll have to read the book. But I want to read a little bit um, from the book, which is often a problem that we can struggle with ourselves. God was saying to Mac, if you let me, Mac, I'll be the papa you never had. But Mac said, if you couldn't take care of Missy, how can I trust you to take care of me? And God replies, the real underlying flaw in your life, Mac, is that you don't think that I am good. If you knew I was good and that everything, the means, the ends, and all the processes of individual lives is all covered by my goodness, then while you might not always understand what I'm doing, you would trust me. But you don't. I'm not a bully, not some self-centred, demanding little deity insisting on my own way. I am good, and I desire only what is best for you. You cannot find that through guilt or condemnation or coercion, only through a relationship of love. And I do love you. Life takes a bit of time and a lot of relationships. Can we trust God? How can we trust God if we don't know that he loves us? 
comes from that relationship. And if you don't know that God loves you this morning, I want to tell you that he does. And please go up for prayer. If you want to um, talk that through with someone, if you're finding it hard to believe that God is good and that God loves you, please don't leave before going for prayer this morning. Yesterday, our speaker, Kate Nicholas, at the Ladies' Breakfast, gave us an amazing story of her walk with God through a stage four cancer diagnosis. And she spoke of how she knew that God loved her and God was standing by her right in the middle of that diagnosis. Can we recognise that he is with us right in the midst of our suffering? If we look to the cross, that will tell us all we need to know. The great mystery is that God was in Christ. He came in human form and he carried all our suffering, all our physical and our emotional suffering on the cross. And he knows exactly what we're going through. He went through it and he goes through it with us. And he's in here with us by his Holy Spirit. Can we let him comfort us in our suffering? One of the words for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And the Bible tells us that he is the God of all comfort. And my personal view is that we underestimate our need for comfort. And we unconsciously look for it in so many different places, many very, very destructive. That need for comfort is the fuel of most addictions, probably all addiction. Turn back to our passage. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is there, right by us. Mac, in the book, learnt to receive that comfort from God as he cried on God's shoulder for the, for the sins that have been done against him. Can we look for him working in us and in suffering? In our passage, Paul says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And it's sometimes really hard. Sometimes it's only later that we see how God has walked with us. And Kate spoke of that again yesterday, of how she had sensed God with her in the darkest places. I've had permission to share this from my husband, but we have experience of God working in a very difficult situation in our lives. About 13, 14 years ago, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And if any of you have any experience of this condition, you'll know how devastating it is. And you'll know that each day is worse than the day before. And that there's no, there's no way back from it. It just goes on and on. And the suffering continues. And I was a very new Christian at the time. 
and I'd taken redundancy from my job at the Pru, and I was looking for similar jobs, but in a very, very early sensing of God speaking to me, I felt him say, wait. And two days after I left the Pru, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And I took that time off to help care for her. And as, as she drew near the end, she was very frightened about going into a hospice she, because she knew what a hospice meant. And she was very frightened. She didn't want to do that. She resisted that. And it was a struggle to care for her at home. We couldn't really care for her. She was living in a first-floor flat, and it was a real struggle to care for her. Um, we just couldn't do it physically um, or practically. And then my father-in-law had to go into hospital for an operation and he couldn't look after her. And so she accepted going into the hospice because it wasn't because of her, it was because of, of her husband's need. And while, when she got there, she relaxed and something very, very powerful happened. Um, the hospice were amazing and she died there a few days later. And when Paul and I went in to see her after she died, we both, um, independently when we came out, we, we looked at each other and, and we had sensed light and music in the room in a, in a totally supernatural way where we knew that, that she was at peace. And it changed us in a way. We, I think we came into contact with the voluntary sector for the first time. We could see the goodness of people who would give their time and their gifts to come alongside people in great suffering. It changed the direction of my career. I went into the voluntary sector myself and I now work with people with MS. And we got involved in fundraising and um, it, it just changed. We saw the goodness of people in the midst of something that was terrible. Do we wish that she hadn't had MND? Of course we do. Of course we do. But we saw God. We saw God at work. And finally, our great challenge. Can we be Jesus in a hurting world of suffering? Can we respond as he did with compassion and generosity and forgiveness maybe working for unjust things to change, but in a positive way, not in an aggressive way. One thing that was said after the Manchester attacks was that hate would not win. The Bible tells us not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Mac in the shack was, Mac in the shack was bitter and angry and full of hatred and unforgiveness towards his father and towards the, that person who had taken his child. But he was in bondage and it was affecting everything. It was affecting his relationships. It was affecting him. But when, with God's help, he was able to choose to forgive, there was a release and he was able to go on with his life and enjoy his family. 
as Paul mentioned in our intercessions, we've seen a great outpouring of the, the best of humankind. The One Love concert in Manchester, the outpouring of donations on um, various fundraising websites, beds, taxis, food, shelter. Many campaigners saying, I'm doing this so that future generations will not suffer as I've suffered. Will you make the most of your opportunities to show the love and the generosity and the forgiveness of Christ? In this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, he's overcome the world. Amen.